Welcome to the first official episode of the 2018 season of the Bleeding Cincy Red podcast. Robert and I are very excited to be back and supporting our Red Legs throughout this great year. In today's episode, we'll be discussing opening day and our 2018 expectations for the Cincinnati Reds. We'll also be giving our extremely bold predictions for the coming year. If you remember, if you listened from the get-go last year, you'll know that we gave great predictions that clearly, clearly missed the mark. But that's not true this year. We're going to be right on the money. And finally, uh, in our third segment, we have Chris, the Iceman Freeze, is coming on to do true and false. And we'll see who gets the better of whom to start off this 2018 year between uh, me and Robert. Anyway, we're very excited for this year. Go Reds! beginning of the 2018 season i'm really excited um i really wish that opening day was on thursday it's been pushed back to friday but uh regardless we're here yeah i'm very excited too i we have tickets my wife and i and the kids we all have tickets and uh luckily we're free on friday uh i would have made us free you know luckily my <laughs> wife's as big of a reds fan as i am so uh we we would have made made it work but uh, it is disappointing to have to wait a little extra for the Reds this year. Yeah, after like kind of a such a, a rough run with the Reds and uh, uh, the past three seasons, uh, I think it makes opening day that much more of uh, an excitement thing because you really hope that you're going to be able to erase the past uh, going into the next season. Yeah, I'm just itching, itching to watch Cincinnati Reds baseball, you know, Uh, I'm itching to see the progress of the starting rotation. And, um, you know, the offense was so good last year, but we've lost Zach Cozart. We're dealing with a four man outfield rotation. Can Jose Peraza really come through? Like there are a lot of questions that I, that I think we're going to talk about and address here, but, um, there's just lots of reasons to be excited. I don't think there's a single team in baseball right now that has spiked interest or, is less defined than the Cincinnati Reds. I mean, you have the Dodgers and the Yankees and the Astros and the Cubs and Nationals who are all definitely going to be good. And you you have a lot of teams that are definitely going to be not very good. And then you have the Reds, and they're hard to read because the offense is set up to be incredibly good, and the pitching is so young where they could completely implode or they could be lights out. It's really hard to tell. So... Because of that, as a Reds fan, I'm caught. You know, I'm more optimistic than I usually am. But at the same time, who really knows? Right, right. And if you look at a lot of the national rankings and lists, I think because of the Reds' lack of moves and free agency and such, uh, everyone is knocking them down to like 29th out of 30, or 30th out of 30, or 28th, and um, they're just kind of going with that. But 
you really, if you've been following the Reds as a Reds fan, outside of being frustrated with all the injuries to the pitchers, I think most Reds fans have noticed that the offense has really been clicking on all cylinders. The pitchers, uh, while we've been dealing with the injury bugs, we have been developing these young pitchers to where uh, now we might actually have a combination that's going to work out. And I'm really excited to see what happens. And don't you think it was a smart move to kind of stay out of the free agency market and with some of those big picture pitchers and everything like, you know, we could have made a splash. We could have gone after a U Darvish or something like that or Lance Lynn. But at the same time, uh, you know, with our plan of the of the rebuild and our plan to see what we have with the young pitchers, at, at this moment, it just seems like it's not the right time to strike. And it seems like maybe next offseason is the time to pull in somebody who can eat innings and really provide some real veteran leadership to this team. But at the moment, like, the, the Reds are getting bad grades. In fact, I, I think I was talking with you offline, Robert, about the fact that Jim Bowden, who, you know, when he was the early GM for the Reds, I loved because he was all about thinking of big ideas. And then over time, like, he would get frustrating because it was he was making moves that, that would concern you for the future and not building for the future. Um, but it, the Athletic, he wrote it, and he has the Reds finishing in last place, which, like, I find incredibly hard to believe. But at the same time, uh, I, I guess it is feasible. But but the point I'm trying to make here in all of this is that he also rated the Reds poorly because they didn't make any major moves. And I completely disagree with that line of thinking. I think it was incredibly wise not to dive in and try to sign somebody for massive amounts of money, which it could tie you up and not be able, not allow you to lock up some of your young talented players like they did with the AUNA Suarez. Right. In fact, like if you brought in some of these free agents and you're trying to make moves, you would have to you'd put in a position where you either have to keep one of these young rookies who you hope develops into an ace or a second or third pitcher in the rotation. You have to keep them in the minors another year. Or you have to cut somebody like a Homer Bailey and just eat all that money, which just doesn't make sense for a team like Cincinnati to do um, unless they absolutely have to do it. And, uh, you know, I think Homer has shown enough that uh, he needs to be given a chance this year to show that he's gotten all the way back from his injury. He showed enough uh, promise last year, even though, you know, he definitely had the bad games. And I think if you've been spending three years rebuilding the team, making all these smart moves, getting people like Suarez and uh, Shebler and Duvall and, and, uh, you know, just getting all these different pieces on the team that, seem to be working out and the final piece is getting the pitching and we've got all these young pitchers who are at triple a ready to move up this really seems like the final you know if you're assembling voltron this is like the point where uh, voltron's assembled and it's really part of the reason why i am super optimistic about the reds chances this year that's a great reference the voltron reference i i'm super optimistic too I think this is the year where you let the young guys pitch. I know we had even talked about, you mentioned Homer Bailey and eating his contract is not something a team like like the small market Reds can do. Like the Yankees can do that. The Dodgers can do that. The Cubs can probably do that with like four players and still be okay. But it seemed like the Reds just can't financially do that and still 
put a winning club or a, a team that has a chance to win out on the field. So we're really hoping that Homer turns it around. And in fact, if anybody here was listening to our best case, worst case scenario series, especially when we focused on Homer Bailey, the first half of Homer starts versus the second half of Homer starts last year were drastically different. And notwithstanding his terrible spring training, and, and to be honest, I don't put a lot of stock in spring training um, because I, I, I've heard great stories about Greg Maddox and other pitchers who have purposely, you know, put pitches out there to tempt other hitters and put it in their mind of things. I, I think it's just an exercise in practicing and refining some of your pitches and all that kind of stuff. And so because of that, I don't put a lot of stock in it. But again, Homer had like an eight something ERA in, in spring training. So it <laughs> does give you pause. Um, at the same time, I am really hopeful that the second half of last year is an indicator of how good he's going to be this year. And if Homer comes out and kind of returns to the Homer Bailey that we remember from the, uh, you know, 2012 playoffs, uh, the Homer Bailey who's thrown two no hitters, if he can do that or come close to that, we may make an interesting run this year. Yeah. And, and it's interesting that you mentioned Homer because his uh, historical career, uh, spring training numbers are actually pretty horrible. So uh, in his case, it hasn't held him back in, in his good seasons either, that he's done bad and poorly in spring training. Uh, really, Friday is when we're going to get our first real look at what Homer's going to have to offer this year. Uh, speaking yeah, of... I, uh, I, I, oh, yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, I thought it was funny because when because uh, this is the first time Homer Bailey gets to pitch opening day. Because mostly it's been Johnny Cueto for the past bunch of years, and then last year it was Scott Feldman, who we're all trying to right. forget. But um, if I if I read it correctly from John Fay and some of the and Mark Sheldon, some of the other reporters, when uh, Homer was asked about pitching opening day, his response was just cool. <laughs> and so I thought, you know, around here in Cincinnati, you expect it to be a little more dramatic. Um, one of the interesting notes that I, I wrote down, I thought I thought this was kind of fun just because with opening day being rained out on Thursday and they preemptively have moved it to, to Friday. And anybody who's living in Cincinnati knows that it has been raining nonstop for like three weeks. And so it's not surprising that they moved it. But I was looking at these notes and this isn't the first time that opening day has been moved because of rain. In 1966, it was also moved because of rain. And because it was raining so much, the first series got rained out. And the Reds actually opened on the road in Philadelphia. And that was one of only uh, two official times that I saw that the Reds opened on the road. Um, I, I saw a third that was in 1877, but I didn't have more details about it. But the two I know is in that 1966, the Reds opened on the road um, in Philadelphia. And they had kind of a... A rough season, but better season than they had right now, or, or had last year, with a record of 76 and 84, which will be a step up and what we've been dealing with the past couple of years. Um, and in that season, actually, their manager, uh, Don Hafner, got fired halfway through the season, so mm -hmm. I don't know if that's an omen for this year. And then the other time they opened on the road was 1990, and they opened on the road because of the Major League Baseball lockout. Uh, that started the season late, and so they had to open in Houston. And of course, you know, all of us know in 1990 what happened. They finished 91 and 71 and went on to win the World Series. So I'm kind of hoping with this strange, strange start to the year um, that that bodes well. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely the only, only uh, answer to it is that we're going to have a, a World Series win because it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> the karma gods. This is this is they're helping us out for having sixty some win seasons. Yeah. And Scott Shebler stole the team. And if if you haven't listened to it yet, listen to the best case, worst case on Scott Shebler, and uh, you'll be very delighted and enlightened on on how great he is. <laughs> Um, <laughs> he's the best player you don't even yeah. know. Uh, so actually uh, that, that makes me uh, wonder too you know we had our best case worst case series we covered a lot of the different players but we didn't cover everybody so uh, Brian I'm wondering if there's like one player that we didn't cover that you're really excited about uh, this year you know it could be somebody that's on the roster right now or somebody that's down in the minors or there's a there's a lot of interesting players because we covered about 14 players um, most of the starting lineup, uh, a good deal of the pitching staff, and uh, of course the major bullpen pieces in Iglesias and uh, Lorenzen. I, I was thinking this through, and, and part of me wanted to pick Devin Mezzarocco because I think he's a real wild card this year. He seems to be fully healthy. At one point, he was our catcher of the future. He signed that big deal, um, which at the time I thought was a steal based on the going rate for catchers and the homers he was hitting and that kind of thing. Um, but then with the hip injuries and everything, it made it difficult. And he just got, he, he lost his job to uh, fan favorite Tucker Barnhart. And so uh, I, I think he's going to have an exciting year, but but he isn't my pick. My pick this year is Nick Senzel. And I'll tell you why. Nick Senzel is 22 years old this year. He'll be turning 23. He was the number one draft pick for the Reds. We've discussed all this before. What intrigues me about him is that if Scooter Jeanette kind of falls back from his last year's numbers and gets more toward where Milwaukee decided to waive him, or if Jose Peraza really continues to swing at pitches out of the strike zone and just cannot find his groove at shortstop, Nick Senzel is waiting in the wings. And for an offense that's going to be filled with four outfielders, Two who are similar, two are completely opposite in Winker and Hamilton. And an infield that, that has an up-and-coming superstar in Suarez and has, you know, the reigning uh, runner-up MVP in Joey Votto and continual MVP, um, uh, you know, person fighting for MVP every year in the running in Joey Votto. And having Tucker Barhart hard behind the plate, I think that, Nick Senzel may be the missing piece and may force his way into this lineup mid-year. I mean, in the in the minors, he has done nothing but excel. He's had uh, in the past two years, his batting average has been 305 and 321. On base percentage, has been 398, 391. His slugging percentage has been an identical 514 the past two years, and he's hit seven homers, uh, 14 homers, had 18 and 14 steals respectively. And he's just been putting together all around really, really good seasons. And that's the kind of hitter that the Reds could use. A balanced player who can do a bit of everything and just doesn't make a lot of outs. And so for me, he is the most intriguing player um, that's waiting in the wings. So should anyone falter, and I hope that they don't. I think we're on the same page here. We're hopeful that all, all of them shine to the point where we're really excited and, you know, we'll... That we want them to shine enough that we'll be upset if they get traded. At the same time, if the season's going along and there's somebody slumping, or um, Scooter Jeanette is just blowing things off the roof, it may be worth considering, you know, trading him at his all-time high with another season of um, control. 
and bringing up Senzel to just kind of fill in right away and pick off right where he left off and not leave this hole in the lineup. So I think Senzel is kind of the the most exciting piece that we didn't talk about in the best case, worst case scenario series. Um, who do you think we miss? Who's going to have a great year? Yeah, well, uh, first I just want to say I, I totally agree with you that Senzel is the most exciting uh, player in our farm system. And, uh, you know, regardless of what the players do in the major league, since I'll be maybe forcing his way up. And especially if the Reds are doing well, uh, he still may force his way up because uh, he would just help out so much more. Um, that said, uh, I was at first kind of leaning towards Amir Garrett as someone to talk about because I thought he had got off to such a great start last year with those five uh, quality starts out of his first six starts. And, uh, you know, was still like one of the leaders on the team last year in quality starts, despite uh, dealing with that hip injury the rest of the year. But uh, Tyler Malley is actually the guy that I'm most excited about. And uh, one of the reasons why is because out of all the starting pitchers for the Reds last year, the person with the lowest earned run average, and this is in a small sample size, but regardless, was Tyler Malley. He actually had uh, the best uh, ERA out of any of the starters from last year, um, was a 2.7. And so far in professional ball, I know I've mentioned this before on other episodes, uh, he's got a perfect game and he's got a no-hitter. And... Uh, and professional baseball. So uh, that's pretty, I mean, you know, you know, it's in the minors, but still it shows uh, the potential. And I think so far uh, he has shown that he's not the type of pitcher that gets rattled easily, even at the major league level. Um, I know uh, the little exhibition game they had in Texas uh, earlier this week is like a, a tune up. He, he kind of gave up some runs, but um, that's really like the outlier of what he's done so far with the Reds. He's had a great spring training and uh, I'm, I'm really excited to see uh, what he does. And especially with the pitching woes we've had over the past few years, um, I'm really excited to see if he's uh, another one of those pieces along with Luis Castillo that really starts to steady the ship and uh, get the Reds moving in the right direction towards the playoffs, towards the national league central crown and eventually uh that world series win that we've been waiting for since 1990 yeah in a previous podcast you had kind of compared him a little bit to greg maddox which you know we we tend to to pick like the best players and compare and it's hard to do for a rookie but at the same time like there is some truth to that when you watch his composure as you mentioned and when you watch the way he um takes it pitch by pitch and he's not an overpowering pitcher he's just a smart pitcher out there and because of that i agree with you i I think he's incredibly intriguing i think the idea of him and amir garrett uh have so much potential even more than some of the other pitchers i think castillo's way up there and he's already kind of proved that he, he deserves to be the number two if not the number one pitcher as the season rolls along but Malley and Garrett are going to sneak their way in there, and I, I think they're going to force Brandon Finnegan out of the rotation. And to be honest, they may make it difficult for uh, Disco to come when he comes back to have a spot for him. So I hope that's the case. I, I want to make these 
things incredibly difficult on Brian Price and make him have to deal with having too many great right, players. Right. I mean, that's that's where we want. Yeah, to that's that's, that's so. when you've got those great problems and you're winning lots of games. And um, another thing on Mali uh, that uh, a lot of the scouts talk about is that he doesn't have the most overpowering fastball, but he has like the best location on his fastball, which is another Maddox. Uh, like quality and he varies the speeds on his fastball which totally throws uh, hitters for a loop Uh, and he seems to uh, vary the speed and the location as he chooses to do so which uh, is really exciting to hear and uh, you know just makes me so excited to see what he does this year yeah, I, I, I think he's going to be a key. I, I wasn't expecting him, quite honestly, to be in the rotation. But due to the injuries to Finnegan and to Discofani, he, um, and, and the way he pitched in spring training, it was hard to deny him one of those spots. So I'm excited to see him pitch. I'm excited to watch this rotation this year. And I think it will give us, this is going to give us a good sense of what we can expect for the, the years to come. So anyway, all right. Well, that was a great first segment in discussing of our expectations. I should say this before we move on completely. One of the other things I wanted to ask you about was that Brian Price is in the final year of his contract. What do you think he has to do to keep his job? What do you think would have to happen for Castellini and Dick Williams and company to say it's time for a change? Yeah, that's a really hard one. And, you know, it seems like if, if you follow on social media right now, that a lot of Reds fans are ready for about anybody that the Reds hire uh, to coach like a minor league team or to sit on the bench as a bench coach. Uh, about anyone, they want to take Bryce's, Price's uh, job from them. And honestly, I feel like Price has been dealt like kind of a, a really hard hand to win with. And um, and it's hard, hard to blame him sometimes for... Uh, the overall situation. But I think for this season, he's going to probably have to get at or very near at least 500 to have a fighting chance of keeping his job. I think if uh, the Reds are, um, you know, back in the 60 win department, that's just not going to cut it. Uh, There's going to be revolts and uh, uh, people, you know, just doing whatever they have to do to get, the ownership's attention that this isn't working out. Um, but I, I also think it's interesting because of uh, comments made by Barry Larkin earlier this year in spring training that Brian Price might end up going 500 and that's not good enough. So um, <laughs> so I, don't, I really don't know what the answer is going to end up being uh, on Brian Price. Uh, I just, I hope that the Reds win lots of games and that uh, that ends up being a, a hard decision. Just like Brian, we hope that Brian Price has a hard decision picking pitchers. I hope that uh, management ends up having a hard decision deciding what to do with uh, uh, Brian Price or maybe an easy decision because we win the World Series and there's nothing else they can do except extend them. Yeah, they can't help but re-sign him. Uh, I, I'm actually, I personally like Brian Price for the most part. I, I think he makes a lot of smart moves. Uh, he's been shown to not be stuck in the traditional ways at times and make those decisions that uh, 
go kind of counterintuitive to what you think, but at the same time, they're really following good, strong numbers. Uh, there were points last season where he wasn't afraid to bring in his best reliever at the crucial moment instead of saving them to the end. Although toward the end of the season, they started to fall back into those roles. Um, to me, I, I have this strange feeling that often when teams are in rebuilding mode, they usually have a, a manager to get them through rebuilding mode. And then right before they take off, and I don't know if it's really the, the manager's fault or because of the management style or anything like that but it always seems like right before they take off they always fire the manager and pull in the next guy who will lead them so they have the guy who nurtures them through the the tough years and i'm with you mm-hmm. I, I mean it's clear that brian rice has or brian price has not been dealt uh great hands over the last couple of years he's been given players to say hey you know here are some young guys see what they can do and while you're balancing these young guys we're going to give you scott showman <laughs> and we're going to give you jason Marquis to eat innings and 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 those guys really didn't do a whole lot to be helpful um so i have a strange feeling that unless they just really exceed expectations that He's on the hot seat the entire year, which is not fun as a fan to watch that, to watch your manager go through that. But Barry Larkin is definitely waiting in the wings along with others. But um, I have a feeling that that by the time we get to the point where you know we're making that true playoff push and we've we've completely turned that corner, um, Brian Price won't be the manager for the Cincinnati Reds. Whether whether he deserves it or not, he just won't be. So anyway. Good take. I was just curious what your thoughts were. Anyway, we're going to dive into the next segment of the Bleeding Cincy Red podcast, which is focused on our bold predictions for the 2018 season. I know we did this last year with, uh, I don't I don't know how you want to define success. Uh, <laughs> not a lot of it. Yeah, I think we were, what, maybe 0 for 10? <laughs> maybe 0 for maybe. 10. <laughs> Well, in our defense, it was our first time going through this uh, this kind of ritual. So now that we have one under our belt and we're going on our uh, you know second time around, I think I think we should do better. I'm not really sure. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> that laugh says it all. Let me let me just say that uh, when when I see the word bold predictions, I just. Uh... Go a little overboard. So if any of my bold predictions are right, I'm going to be super excited at the end of the season. I agree. I I, I was looking through mine, and there were a couple I thought, oh, my God, what was I thinking? And then the more I thought about it, I realized, I'm really smart. These have to be correct. These have to <laughs> yeah. be correct. So, <laughs> so with, anyway, without further ado, Robert, I'll let you kick. I, I think how we should do this here is we'll go back and forth one after the other, and uh, I will let you kick us off with our Bleeding Cincy Red 2018 bold predictions for the Cincinnati Reds. All right, let's start off with this. I predict that Jesse Winker will be runner-up in Rookie of the Year voting to Tyler Malley. (laughs) That's pretty good. (laughs) I think that's pretty good. It actually goes... In line with my number one, believe it or not, <laughs> which is my first bull. This is great. My first bold prediction is Joey Votto gets robbed for an MVP award for the second year in a row. 
But this time he loses out to Auenius Suarez. Awesome. All right. <laughs> so we're on the we're on the same wavelength here. This is this is going to be good. This is going to be very very good. Yeah, and just to let everyone know, we do not talk about these ahead of time. So uh, this is just very spontaneous. Great great to know that we're on the same wavelength as far as that. Okay, so that uh, will lead me into. Uh, the team leader in home runs uh, for 2018 with 40-plus, uh, I believe, will be Scott Shubler. Chevy, your hero. <laughs> I'm, I'm going all I'm in not... on Shubler this year. I mean, he's, he had like a 2,000 batting average during spring training. And he's, he's just re- he's ready to, to unleash the Sheb on Major League Baseball this year. That's that's our that's our next t- tagline after a- every pitcher is our ace. Our next tagline is uh, unleash the Sheb. <laughs> I think that's great. Well, my next bold prediction is that Michael Lorenzen will hit more homers this year than Jose Peraza at three to two. And the caveat here is this: is that I believe that Jose Peraza by mid year will lose his starting job to probably Nick Senzel or maybe someone else. And I think that's what's going to give Michael Lorenzen that chance to sneak in as a pinch hitter and uh, give us those home runs. All right. Yeah, I mean, I think he hit one during spring training, Danny. So he's, he's Lorenzen's yeah, I, getting ready. I mean, I know he's on the DL at the moment, but uh, he, he's definitely locked in as always with that bat. So uh, cool. And I took that D- DL stint into account when I made this bold prediction. <laughs> so it's it's happening. He's he's hitting through. All right, so. awesome. I like it. Uh, my third bold prediction is that five Cincinnati Reds will earn Gold Gloves this year. So more than half of the National League Gold Gloves. Uh, and I've got that going to uh, Tucker Barnhart in his second one in a row. Uh, Billy Hamilton finally getting that gold glove that he's been robbed of for so many years now. You Finally. Eugenio Suarez uh, getting it at third base and uh, sneaking in there. Uh, Adam Duvall, who has been a finalist a couple times now, finally gets it. And the Joey Votto getting that gold glove at first base. He's been improving his... Uh, defense, and I think it's finally going to uh, pay off with that gold glove. I can't believe you left Scott Shebler. Oh, I, I I thought about Chevy, but, you know, he's going to be so busy hitting all those home runs and, you know. <laughs> it's it's funny. One of my uh, one of my runners-up, I, I didn't make this as a bold prediction, but it was in the running. I did have uh, that Adam Duvall, Billy Hamilton, and Scott Shebler would become the first major league trio of outfielders to win all the gold gloves. <laughs> And uh, the the downside with that was I had a tough time trying to confirm if there had ever been another outfield trio for a same team that won gold gloves. Um, so I, I, I kind of pushed it off to the side and thought that that won't make my list. But I'm glad you <laughs> made the bold prediction um, about all those gold gloves. My next bold prediction is that the uh, Cincinnati Reds pitching staff, last year they came in second last in ERA with an abysmal 5.17 ERA. In 2018, I boldly predict that they will come in second place at the top with an ERA of 3.40, just behind 
the Los Angeles Dodgers, who will only finish with a lower ERA because Clayton Kershaw, who is in a contract year, will post an absurd 0.81 ERA. And if it weren't for that, I think we'd be at the top. But I just can't compete with that guy. And so I think being second from the top as a rotation and a bullpen, um, that's my bold prediction for the Cincinnati Reds pitching. I, I was almost expecting you to say like 0.5 or something, which I would totally not debate when you're talking about Clayton Kershaw. So. Yeah, I know. I know that guy's so good. I, I don't. I don't know. I would, if the Reds could just develop one Clayton, I mean, every yeah. team probably says this, but like, I mean, God, if you could, if you could replicate that guy, uh, he's just so much fun to watch. Yeah. yeah. Well, this, this kind of, it, if that happens, the Reds, uh, ERA is that, well, part of it will be because of my fourth bold prediction. And that's that I predict that Luis Castillo will lead the national league in quality starts in 2018. That one's actually the po- probably the most realistic one we've made so far, and I, I, I think it's very plausible. Are they going to – do you think they'll put that, him on a, an, an innings limit? Um, you know, I am not sure. He uh, pitched quite a bit in the minors before he came up, so I think he's probably good to go this year. I think so too. Yeah. I haven't read anything that says he would be on an innings limit and that's last year. I mean, the I only, the end of the year. I think – Molly, Mally might be on an innings limit that might come out later in the year. I don't know, but I think Castillo, I think Romano, I think I think that they should probably be good to go uh, this year. Even though you know you, uh, Castillo definitely got shut down last year uh, at the end. That's funny because one of the other uh, bold predictions that I had that I cut uh, at the last minute kind of plays off of that, which was uh, that Bronson Arroyo is called out of retirement in August to help give the young guys a break and save innings for the postseason. (laughs) (laughs) But, but I cut that mainly because I think, I think Bronson's pretty content in retirement and doesn't have an interest in coming back. So I I thought that seemed a bit of a, that that would, that would be so fun to watch though. If uh, the Reds were out so far ahead that they bring in Bronson, just, just because (laughs) why not? (laughs) Just why not? Why not? Well, my next real bold prediction is that Rozell Iglesias will lead the league with 48 saves, setting a new red single-season record, topping the Cowboy, Jeff Brantley's 1996 total of 44 saves. And I think this is, this is one where I went back and forth at first because I know Brian Price in the past has used him for multiple innings. I actually like using relievers for multiple innings. Um, at the same time, I think because our pitching is going to be so much better and our offense is going to be refined, we're going to be caught in a lot of close games. And because we're in a lot of close games, we're going to bring in our lights out closer. And he's going to lock it down for us, and it's going to be great. Yeah, I totally agree with this uh, full prediction. It was actually one that I thought about making and uh, just decided to go another direction with my fifth one. But uh, I totally am on board with Iglesias leading uh, with the saves. So my fifth one, since it's not Iglesias, um, is actually, you know, it just has to deal with the whole team. The Reds winning the National League Central Division. Nobody wants to say, you know, everyone wants to say, oh, we got to go for 81 wins. we got to go for 82 wins. I say, screw that. We're going all the way, winning the National League. 
Central Division. We can do it. We can beat the Cubs. We can beat the Brewers. We can beat the Pirates, whoever else I might be forgetting that I haven't named so far in the division. We can beat them all. We can beat everyone in the National <laughs> League. And I think you know where, where I'm going with this, but we're, we're, we're definitely winning the Central Division. It's happening. In fact, uh, I have been debating on one of mine as well. I've been I have been debating on one of mine to put not only that they win the division, but that they'll push the Cubs to seven games uh, in the postseason and make it to the World Series. And, of course, beating the New York Yankees in the World Series. I, I didn't go that far. I decided to stay back. But I'm glad you, you made that bold prediction. So that way I can make my sixth and final bold prediction. And this one is absolutely happening, which is... Scooter Jeanette becomes the first player in history to hit five homers in a single Boom. game. If we're going to go out, we should go out with the Reds winning the Central Division and Scooter Jeanette hitting five homers. Because why not? I think that's a good way to <laughs> Why not? Hit. Because why not? <laughs> why not? Why not? L- listen, to be fair, to be fair, if you would have told us last year that the first player in Reds history to ever hit four home runs in a single game was Scooter Jeanette, we would never would have believed it, right? right? Definitely. Right, right. So it's only logical that no one would believe he'd hit five in a game, but he's going to do it. Right, right. And actually, somebody on the team outside of Scooter that you know you might want to keep your eye on for hitting, uh, you know, if not five, if not four, like a three home run game. Uh, watch out for Tucker Barnhart. I think he's like a dark horse guy that's going to show power out of nowhere uh this year and uh you know i'm not saying he's going to hit 20 home runs or anything like that but i'm also saying that it's not impossible that uh his bat starts to wake waking up i i think he's like one of those uh players where the baseball gods may decide to start smiling on him even more than they already have so yeah we in fact you and i talked about this a little bit when we started doing that real breakdown and comparisons and if you haven't listened to our best case worst case scenario on tucker barnhart you should um mainly because he's hitting that like odd similar age with similar statistics to yadier molina and it was like right around this age and this time in yadier's career he became this offensive juggernaut out of not really being one suddenly was he was great defensively and wasn't and I wouldn't be surprised if you were right about Tucker and uh, him making that leap. And if he does, then this offense really will be incredibly hard to beat. It yeah, will. it will. And uh, and that'll be on top of the great pitching that I'm expecting this year. With all these young guns, uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun this year. I'm really excited. I'm really excited too. So before we get before we bring in the uh, Iceman, Chris Freeze, to do our true or false segment, I want to ask you this. What do you think will be the final wins-loss record for the Reds this year? Or I shouldn't say wins-loss, just just wins. How many wins do you think that the Reds will have at the end of the 2018 season? Okay, well, I'm, I'm predicting mid-90s, somewhere between 92 and 95 wins. Oh man, you're spot on. I have 94. Oh wow! <laughs> there we go. So clearly, great minds. Clearly, <laughs> great minds. And we we know every. I mean, based on all these bold predictions, which we're going to get correct, we clearly are going to be right on this win. Yeah, I mean, you know, you just look at our track record from last year, and you know that we are 
going to be right right on this year. So yes, yes. And what Robert means is, do not whatever you do <laughs> listen to our bold predictions from last year. <laughs> and if so, you'll be pleasantly surprised when we get these right this year. Although if we, I'll tell you, if we ever get one of these right, I mean, we're going to sound like geniuses. Yeah, we will. So. We will. And I mean, you know, by the law of averages, you know, we should have a few more right this year than we did last year, right? <laughs> yeah, I think, so. I think I think we were <laughs> we were pretty realistic. I mean, Bronson coming out of retirement. I mean, how isn't that going to happen? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, <laughs> um, anyway, all right. Well, stay tuned, and uh, in a moment, we're gonna bring on Chris, the Iceman Freeze, for true or false. Welcome back to the show, uh, Chris. Hey, thanks for having me again, guys. It's uh, good to be talking about Reds baseball again, uh, especially after the miserable end to the two uh, NCAA tournament teams in Cincinnati. So I'm happy that opening day is on the horizon and a new season and a new dawn of hope. <laughs> what's, what's no your... doubt. My, my bracket got busted uh, just at the right time to jump into the red space ball. <laughs> Are you kidding? I had Virginia winning it all. And so... Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, I was ready for opening day after a weekend, after uh, games one and one. And so, uh, what's wait, Chris, so quickly before we dive into this, what is your prediction for the red season? How do you think they'll end up record-wise? Um, I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna be exactly 500. Um, I see a lot of improvement in the rotation, which is gonna be key um, because I think the offense is gonna be there. And I would imagine by the end of the year, they've got a good chance that that offense could be absolutely loaded if uh, if Senzel's up and in the everyday lineup, and you have somebody like Scooter repeating what he did last year. In this scenario, I'm assuming that um, Senzel is playing shortstop. Um, I'd also love it to work out that Winker gets a lot of time in right field and Shebler plays in center. May not be the best for the defense, but it's going to be their best chance to score a lot of runs. And uh, As we know, last year the Reds had to score a lot of runs with that pitching staff. But I keep thinking it can't get worse with the pitching staff, right? All the, the young talent, it's got to eventually start to blossom. Yeah, exactly. I, I totally agree. And uh I think the injuries eventually have to stop, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you you would think so, but you know you're both wrong. The Reds are making the playoffs. You, you know it's <laughs> happening. A- eighty-one and eighty-one is isn't going to cut it. They're making the playoffs. It's happening. So, but other other than that, I think you're right on Winker. I think you're right on you know probably Shevler Shevler having to shift over to center, and uh, the offense is going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So Shebler for MVP. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So are you ready to challenge us with uh, your true and false questions? I, I believe how this works is Chris Diceman Freeze will be here. He has 10 questions. We'll go back and forth. He'll give us opportunities to decide whether they are true or false. Robert and I will take turns as to who gets to answer it uh, right away. And then from there, we'll tally it up at the end and see who the genius is and who the Bleeding Cincy Red Podcast true-false champion is. Sound good? Yeah, let's get started. All right. Whenever you're ready, Chris, fire away. All right. Number one, true or false, the Reds have never played a team from Washington on opening day. Well, Robert, I think you should take this one. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm going to go ahead and just say false, even though I know that it's possible in the past. Uh, I, I was thinking this through. I believe that they have played Washington before. I, I believe so, too. So I, I hate to agree with you, but I'm going to agree. I think it's false. Uh, it's true. They have never played a team from Washington before because the previous two teams in Washington were in the American League. They, of course, became the Twins and the Rangers. Mm. Now, the Reds did play the old version of the Nationals, the Expos, from Montreal five times on opening day. Ah, we're off to a good start. <laughs> That's right. We're, we're off to our regular start. Right now. <laughs> yeah. okay, number two. Since 1900, the Reds have played on the road on opening day just once in 1990 when they beat the Houston Astros. True or false? Ah, see, we discussed this a little bit earlier, so uh, I'll take this one first, and I am going to say false. I'm also going to say false. That's correct. It is false. The Reds also opened on the road in in 1966 against Philadelphia. Yeah. Inclement weather for that as well. Yeah. All right. Now that we're all tied up 1-1, number three, true or false, the Reds have a winning record on opening day in their history. So I guess it's my turn. Uh, I'm going to say true. Well, as someone who keeps going to opening day and feels like we've lost most of the time, I'm going false on this one. Ryan is correct. It is false. Uh, as far as I could tell by my calculations, uh, which could be entirely wrong, it looks like they're like 62 and 69 on opening day. So if anyone actually wants to count out and double check my math on that, please let me know. No, This is like the question I didn't want to get right. <laughs> I, I was hopeful. But... That, the, the optimistic red span, I mean, it's just like, yeah, we have to have a winning record. I, I feel like they've only won a handful of times a great American on opening day. Yeah, right. it, it, that's probably what's what swung the the pendulum was uh, moving to Great American. <laughs> yeah, and the truth is, the games they won at Great American, I'm pretty sure like two or three of them have been walk offs. So we were like on the yeah. verge of losing, and then we had uh, Ramon Hernandez, and we had Adam Dunn or Joe Randa. I mean, we're just mm-hmm. barely winning some of these. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number four. True or false, the Reds fielded the same lineup, although not the same batting order, on opening day of their 1975 and 1976 championship seasons. Ooh. That's a good one. I'm trying to trying to think through who may have been different. Does that include pitcher as well? No, I'm not including pitcher. Okay, not including pitcher. Right, good clarification. Um, I'm going to say false. I'm, I'm going to say there was a... So some somebody was different. Okay, I need to make up ground, so I'm gonna say uh, true. Robert, it is false. Ah! And it, it's probably somebody you guys, I imagine, have never even heard of. The immortal John Vukovic started at third base in 1975. That was his only season in Cincinnati. George Foster was not in the opening day lineup that year, and Pete Rose played left field in '75. Uh, but he would play third base in 76. No, I always hoped that Bukovic was going to stick around a little bit longer. than <laughs> <laughs> he, he was the Shetler of the mid-70s. Yeah. <laughs> Bukovic. That's a great name, by the way. I know. Isn't it awesome? I never, I never even knew that guy existed. <laughs> All right. Number five. 
True or false? Between the runs of Jose Rijo from 1992 to 1995 and Aaron Harang from 2006 to 2010, the only other red starting pitcher to make more than one start on opening day during that time was Pete Harnish. So who is this Robert? Is Robert had this yeah, one this is, me? Yeah, this is mine. Yeah. Okay. Pete Harnish. I, I loved, for the record, I loved Pete Harnish when he was here. He was kind of a grinder, you know? Yeah. I mean. Hmm. They, Trying to think. I, I, I'm, I'm going to say false, but I probably got it wrong. I'm already off to such a good start. That, uh... All right. Well, I, see, I'm, I'm thinking this through, and, like, I, I honestly think it's true. I mean, it, it's funny because, like, like I said, I was a big fan of Pete Harnish, but, but like, he really represents that era of pitchers where we were going through, like, Steve Paris. And, like, you had Denny Nagel for a year in there but i mean there was some brutal pitching throughout throughout mm-hmm. those years so but I, I i'm gonna i'm gonna be contrary and go true man brian is on a roll it is true Harnish <laughs> got the nod in 2000 and 2001 uh, and he would win 39 games during his four seasons with the reds and but that fourth year he he was hurt most of the season so really 39 wins in about a little over three years which isn't bad yeah, especially when our uh, top pitcher last year had eight wins, so. <laughs> and he was out of the bullpen. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, it's so true. You're rough. <laughs> All right, number six, true or false? After winning 15 games the following se- uh, the previous season, Jimmy Haynes got the opening day start in 2003 to open Great American Ballpark. Oh, the good old Jimmy Haynes. Uh, I'm trying to remember because I think I was at this game. I'm pretty sure I was at it. I don't remember Jimmy Haynes starting an opening day. But boy, he he does line up with the names of people you would think that during that those those years where you think, oh my God, he started an opening day. I because I don't remember it. I'm gonna go false. <laughs> because I'm in a big hole. I'm gonna go true. <laughs> Robert, make it up ground. It is true. Jimmy Haynes got the start. He would proceed to go 2-12 and 12 that year. And he ended up with eight more walks than strikeouts in 94 and a third innings pitched. That's pretty impressive to, to finish a year with more walks than strikeouts. Yeah, that's pretty terrible. <laughs> that's like a softball stat line as a hitter. More walks than strikeouts. Makes you glad to have Scott Feldman leading off last year. (laughs) (laughs) Good old Scott Cy Feldman. All right, number seven, true or false, Pete Donahue holds the record for most opening day starts as a starting pitcher for the Reds. I'm just going to say true. I don't know, man. Johnny Quinto has a few. Uh, I mean... V- Vukovic, I don't think has any, but I don't think he does. I, I'll I'll go false. It is false. Uh, Mario Soto with six holds the record from 1982 oh. to 1986, and then again in '89. I should have known that. I should have been thinking of Soto. Yeah, I believe Cueto and Harang both have five apiece, and yeah. uh, Pete Donahue had five as well. Ah, so it was pretty close. Yes. Huh. huh. I picked a name that I felt like you guys wouldn't know, but was like obscure enough that might, you know, hold some value. <laughs> I, I'm not gonna lie; I thought maybe you made it up. 
<laughs> I've never made up a name on this segment other than John Vukovic. Um, <laughs> or did I? Number eight, the only player to homer for the Reds on opening day 2017 was Scooter Jeanette, setting the day for his big season. I was there, so I know he I know he homered. I just can't remember if any other Reds hit homered. So I'm just gonna say true because I know I know he did to pull us within one run, I believe, in the ninth inning. And we're on question number eight right now. Yep. <laughs> then I just have to say false as a Hail Mary. <laughs> and it is true. He homeward in the ninth inning, like Brian said. Uh <laughs> The Phillies hit two homers off of Scott Cy Feldman in the first inning. <laughs> to be no, no comeback for me today. <laughs> <laughs> to to be to be uh, honest and fair and about everything is I I'm sipping a little drink here and it's Ryan Guy's Truth and I'm using it to aid myself with the true and false. So I thought maybe maybe that would carry me to victory and it looks like it's holding true today. <laughs> All right, number nine. The Reds have played the most opening day games against the Pittsburgh Pirates with 28 games. This is my turn. Um, I'll go ahead and say true. Uh, I, I'm going to end up saying false just to be contradictory, but I'm trying to think through some of the teams. Like The Pirates would kind of make sense. If you figure we we but see we don't always play division rivals because I thought like the Dodgers could be up there, um, Astros and, and stuff like that haven't been around that long. But the Dodgers have been around forever. Um, the Pirates have been around a long time. It, it, I mean that's probably right, but I I'm gonna go the opposite of Robert. Man, <laughs> Brian is on a roll. It is false. The Reds have played the Pirates 28 times. But they've played the Cubs 29 times, so one more time. I'm a genius. <laughs> <laughs> it often feels like we're always playing the Cubs, whether it's opening day or not. <laughs> it does so. feel like we're always playing the Cubs. Ugh. <laughs> Cubs. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last question, and it is not opening day related. I just thought it was an interesting piece of trivia. True or false, no Reds manager has ever managed 10 years with the Reds. Ooh, that's a pretty good one. Because Sparky definitely didn't. Dusty didn't. Hutchinson didn't. I'm, I'm trying yeah, to a lot it. of the better better managers I can think of didn't even come close. I, so. I, I don't even think they came close. Unless there's like somebody sneaky in there. Mm. Um... So wait, repeat the question one more time. True or false, no Reds manager has ever managed 10 years with the Reds. See, I think he's trying to I think he's trying to pull one over on us here. <laughs> so I I'm going to go false. He probably is pulling one over on us and you've been right when I've been wrong every time uh, tonight, so I'm I'm still going to say true though. Robert redeeming himself a little bit at the end. It is true. Uh, Sparky managed from 1970 to 1978, and he holds the Reds' record for four game for games managed and wins. Uh, so he's the longest tenured Reds manager ever. Uh, Bill McKechnie is second, having managed from 1938 to 1946. Now, depending on whether or not you like him. This will either make you feel really good or really, really bad because Brian Price has already managed the 10th most games in Reds history 
more than Jack McKeon, Davey Johnson, or Lou Pinella. Wow. That's a good stat. That's really incredible. When you I think know, about how was, long the Reds have been around, too, it's just uh, it, pretty incredible. It's pretty stunning to think that the Reds have never really had that, like, that manager like that just it's been around forever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No Mike Sosha. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's going to happen incredible. soon when Barry Larkin takes over the team, so. That's right. <laughs> oh, jeez. Manages for the next three decades. So. <laughs> the season's going to be so interesting just because of that Larkin and Price on the, the bench together. Yeah. So. And uh, just that dynamic. It's going to be uh, really interesting. So I just want to make it clear that in uh, the kickoff to this year's True and False, uh, after getting pummeled a few times last season, I'm pretty sure uh, this was a 73 win, Chris, if I'm correct. Yep, that is correct, Brian. <laughs> you hit 70% of the questions right. Yeah. 7-3 to three win. I'm going to repeat that one more time. Just 7-3. and uh, <laughs> Hopefully that's it. not the score of opening day, unless it's the Reds with uh, with the seven runs. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I I sure hope so. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna take my victory now and rub it in because I have a bad feeling that that may be uh, one of the few and far between victories I get this season. But we'll see, we'll see. It's a nice it's a nice start for me. So anyway, well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the program. As always, you're our favorite guest, and uh, hopefully, you are wrong and the Reds don't go 81 and 81 and they go 90 wins, make the playoffs surprising run so yeah i hope i'm wrong too so uh, i'll look forward to seeing you down at the ballpark on friday brian it sounds awesome i can't wait go reds. go reds go reds thanks chris thanks guys thanks to everyone out there who's listening to our very first bleeding cincy red podcast of the 2018 baseball season we're so excited that baseball is back if you have a chance rate us on itunes and share this podcast with your friends be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bleedin' Cincy Red without a G and on Facebook. And as always, a very special thanks to our all-time favorite Red, Barry Larkin, for listening. I'm sure he's tuned in somewhere. Go Reds! <laughs>